Hi everybody, it's Joey Remini here from seekingbalance.com.au. I'm a vestibular audiologist and neuroplasticity therapist and I take great pleasure in sharing the journey of recovery for people with chronic and complex vertigo, dizziness or tinnitus conditions. And extremely frequently, and myself included, many of us with these feelings of not quite right and the world spinning away or it's roaring and ringing these can really happen when we're going through known hormonal changes whether that be with our menstrual cycle for men during life changes pregnancy menopause um, these symptoms can escalate and sometimes get out of hand and the doctors will often say yeah there's a link between hormone hormone changes and symptoms but like what does that mean so on today's call, I am just so humbled and so grateful to be speaking with Dr. Claudia Welsh, who is an Ayurvedic practitioner, traditional Chinese medicine doctor. So Dr. Claudia Welsh, you are so welcome and thank you for your time. Oh, it's just so nice to be here. And, uh, and I am, I'm so excited that there's someone who actually specializes in this. So your listeners will have to bear with me while I pick your brain at some point, maybe later in the call. Anytime. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be great because, you know, a lot of people come to, to my website and I'd like to put this on there and, and they often are going through hormonal changes and they don't recognize that uh, hormonal changes have a role to play. Yeah. So maybe we'll start with a summary for those who are new to my work and new to hormones. We'll just give a, a little summary. Um, would you like to start with just welcoming people to the magical hormones we have in our body? And I say magical because often we hormones can sound intimidating and oh no, what's happening? My hormones again, when actually we need them. They're amazing. They're these beautiful messengers. Do you want to maybe introduce the listeners to the hormones, and then I can speak afterwards a little bit on the inner ear component stuff. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, it's it's so true that they're that they're intimidating, and they're intimidating in part because they're magical. Yeah. And I've got to the point where if something's really magical in the body, and you go, "Oh my gosh, what is going on there?" There has to be some hormonal link because they're incredible. And here's just a, here's just a couple of things that I, I don't even know if we know how they do this or why they do this. Well, I think we can, what Eastern medicine gives us is a good why. Mm -hmm. And um, what Western medicine and science gives us is a good what. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure that anybody really gets the how, and that's the mysterious thing. But, but in, and what I mean by that is, Western medicine can say, this is this hormone, this is where it's secreted, this is where it goes, this is the effect it has on this tissue, right? Mm -hmm. And it has a list of those. And that list can sometimes be overwhelming and feel contradictory. And, um, and the number, the sheer number of hormones and the number of things that they do in places that they go can feel overwhelming. And like, can you find a pattern in there? And, um, mm. and uh, so that's the, the what, the why Eastern medicine gives us, which allows us to, instead of be intimidated, be kind of blown away by the mystery, but also see that pattern of why it's happening. Um, how it's happening is just, 
it just opens my heart to think about the how of it because I, I don't know. And I'm not a Western scientist. I have a Western medical background in, you know, in, ter- in, in basic things and, and um, but not in biochemistry and, and uh, neurotransmitters and probably a lot of the things that you know. So um, another reason to want to pick your brain, but, but here's just <laughs> a couple of things about hormones that just show their, um, this crazy mystery. Um, mm-hmm. One is, so we think about estrogen, one form or the other of estrogen as being predominantly in, say, the um, in the corpus luteum, which is uh, on the on the periphery of the of the ovary, and once a month it bursts, and it's and a, and an egg comes forth, and all this progesterone is secreted from this from this wound, basically, which then goes away, and progesterone comes down unless you get pregnant. And we think of estrogen as being in the ovaries. We think of it as being in the placenta during pregnancy. We think of it being um, specifically in these traditionally feminine tissues, but really estrogen has been found in every tissue of the body, the brain, the brain tissue, the bones, the muscles, the fat, every single tissue of the body has been found to have estrogen in it. And what you need for estrogen, you need precursors for estrogen, which are found in every tissue in the body. You need aromatase, which is this amazing enzyme that transforms other hormones into estrogen, other precursors into estrogen instantaneously. And you find aromatase in every tissue of the body. So you need the precursors and you need the cell receptors and mm-hmm. you've got those everywhere. So you have everything you need in every tissue of the body to make one kind of estrogen or another throughout your life. That's amazing. So, um, and, and what is it doing in all of these places is also amazing, the effects that it has. But look at, look at just this one thing about estrogen in all of these different tissues with this enzyme aromatase, transforming precursors into estrogen. It, for, for example, can take testosterone Mm-hmm. which we all know to be the quintessential male hormone and instantaneously turn it into estrogen. How mind blowing is, is that? And Especially is- when we think of hormones as being like, we think of hormones being secreted by tissue A. Ding. Yeah. You know, they put side effects. It moves through the, the tissues and bodily fluids to, to the, to, tissue B, right? And, and, and stimulates change at that encountered tissue. Mm. That's what we think of is this kind of A to B journey. And that does happen. But there's also this thing that happens. My memory at university of studying this was kind of like hormones were these text messages. And the text message little bundle is this chemical message 
could travel very long distances in the body and, and could constantly be circulating around the body to get messages from A to B. That was definitely how I remember it being taught. So it is amazing to think actually there's this, there's this instant ubiquitous capacity for hormones to be chopping and changing all the time. And I guess, and this is in men and women, because often we think, okay, testosterone men and estrogen women, it's clear cut, it's static. And it's like, no, it's super dynamic. And yeah, it's all about the balance. And so if, um, and this is just one hormone we're talking about, because we have, we have our stress hormones, cortisol and all of that. And then we have our sex hormones. But just if we stick with right. the estrogen, is it like, can you explain the fine balance between if we don't have enough estrogen, if we have just the right amount of estrogen, and then if we have too much, do you want to talk a little bit about how that can lead to imbalances in the body? Sure, sure. Okay, so if we here, you know, so I mentioned earlier that that Western science is really good at the what, mm-hmm. where where it's secreted and what it does, mm-hmm. but but why it doesn't really like like how does that happen and why does that happen? Why do, you know why do we get low estrogen sometimes and why do we get high estrogen sometimes? That's we can tell by, you know, some spit test or some blood test or blood, you know, lab work that estrogen is low or high, but we don't know why, you know, then we're told, oh, you need to have an estrogen supplement or you need to, you know, do this thing to reduce it, but we don't know why, right? Whereas in Eastern medicine, we look at, okay, well, why is that happening? And in order to understand the why we have low or high estrogen, we, it, it's a useful thing, I think, to, to consider the, the, the nature, the personality of estrogen. And if we look at this from uh, an Eastern medical point of view, um, Eastern medicine, both Ayurveda and Chinese medicine have this, they both look at the world in this very holistic way, whereas in, in that they both have five elements, but both of their five elements are really different. <laughs> they both have is, and you can't, you can't, you can't exactly correlate them. People try, but they're they're not exactly. They're these two separate systems, but that makes it all the more interesting and relevant and powerful that they do have a, a couple of things that they arrived at understanding in the exact same way. Mm-hmm. And one of those principles is the principle of duality. Yin and Yang is is what they call it in Chinese medicine. And they call it santarpana and apatarpana or brahmana and langana in um, Ayurvedic medicine. Exactly the same principles. And what we would say is that the stress hormones are yang, langana, and the sex hormones are yin and brahmana. And what, so, so let's look at that. And estrogen is the quintessential yin hormone. So what is yin? Yin is is nourishing, grounding, lubricating, calming, building. Its main agenda is to build. So, and, and what do you, you know, with building, you need material and material is stabilizing. So it has this stabilizing effect on the body and this growth promoting effect. So it's, and, and because it has that grounded material nature, it grounds us. Having enough calms us, lubricates us, 
um, and builds tissue. So its agenda is to build tissue, build the uterine lining, um, build breast tissue. It builds, right? And every month it builds the uterine lining. It builds stuff. So if we don't have enough with that understanding what it does, that it builds, what do you think is going to happen? We're not going to build enough uterine lining. So maybe we'll have a really light or non-existent period, right? Um, or if there's not enough, maybe we will have um, more anxiety because we have less groundedness, maybe more dryness, vaginal dryness, or um, not, a, not enough lubrication. There's dryness because it's not being moisturized and built and tissue isn't being produced, right? Mm. So that's not enough. Too much because estrogen's ability uh, agenda is to build is we get too much material. So it builds too much uterine lining and then we get heavy bleeding, right? Something like that. Depression, it's too heavy. But here's, a, here's an interesting thing. Um, for, so first of all, before I go into this and remind me, I don't want to let go of this too much, why we have too much estrogen piece, but does that make sense so far? Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, all about bringing the body back into balance. And that's like at the moment, we're really looking at it at the lens right. of the hormones. Um, and again, just bringing right. the conversation back to this humble miracle we're living in head to toe. And I think we can never understand everything perfectly going on in the body. But I think having these little snippets of respect and curiosity for the complexity. So I just really invite all the listeners to not need to understand it all. But just to understand the overarching concepts of the body is seeking balance and sometimes we're not in balance. And we're going to talk about how to regain that balance in this conversation. But right now we're just talking about the chemicals sometimes are building too much or not building enough. And where we can use examples of the uterus lining, I would say we could also use examples of the ear, which also is a very yeah. juicy fluid filled cavity. Talk about that? Will you talk about that for a minute, Joey? Well, yeah. Okay, sure. So my clients often, not always, but will have healthy ears. So they've had all the testing done, sometimes seen 15 doctors. It's, it's exhausting. It's debilitating. They've got these invisible symptoms, which I call the not quite rights. And this could be raging, ringing sounds or tones or popping or squeaking or squelching or static. So they, they, they don't feel like they, they feel like they're hearing these real anomalies in their body. They feel abnormal or crazy. No one else can hear it. And they're actually hearing their anatomy. And from a hormonal point of view, that can be the body screaming for balance. It's like, it's actually screaming at the person, listen to me, listen to me. I need attention. And so we actually create sound in our body and that's actually quite normal. And many of my clients who go through the rock steady healing process, which is, which is the, the listening to the body and, um, attuning ourselves to the wisdom of the body this process will help people go from living a life that is not in alignment with who they are and what they now know to be um, I suppose their path and it's almost like their ringing sounds can call them back into listening and, and make some different choices which actually suit them a lot better so they come out the other side of it very happy but they had to go through this very difficult phase of feeling abnormal feeling wrong feeling broken no one can fix them life is over it can be suicidal at its worst getting through that challenge and making some different choices and it's exactly the same for the dizzy clients that they can feel this push pull this 
um, up, down, spinning. And the reason for those signals, just briefly, is that the ear is capturing vibration all the time, both hearing vibration and movement vibration. It's like this incredible little sensor. There are five bedrooms responsible for balance in each ear. So we have 10 little organelles collecting balance information. We can actually lose one entire ear and still have perfect balance for gymnastics. So we have a lot of redundancy and robustness. So even with damage, we can regain normal. We can create a new normal, which is what my book's about that I'm just releasing. But the information's traveling from the ears through the brainstem, the midbrain to the cortical areas of the brain and anywhere along the, that pathway we can have error messages lost broken confused traffic jammed and that's when we can be feeling this um, very difficult to describe dizziness that's not actually coming from the ears anymore it's coming from the pathways and the neural junctions and synapses that are not appropriately communicating and interestingly and you'll be probably um, have something to say on this Claudia too is the balance information doesn't just go to one part of the brain. It actually goes to all parts of the brain. It's so important that we navigate our environment for safety from an evolutionary perspective, that it's not like vision. It's not like touch. We don't have a balanced part of the brain. It's information's going through the emotional system. So that balance information is passing through the limbic system. It's really being categorized as safe or unsafe, and then it's being further processed. So if we, feel this dizzy vertigo or even tinnitus sound information from the ears and it's categorized as a threat and oh my god i'm dying this is not okay i don't want this i need to go see the doctors and get rid of it the brain will then process it differently and that can then perpetuate the anxiety cycles releasing more of the stress hormones which claudia is going to be talking about can further pull the body out of balance because we're feeling and hearing and sensing vibration information that's been categorized as a threat and then we're getting this production of stress hormones that is further actually reinforcing the symptoms that, it, that initiated it. And then we get stuck in chronic, complex, persistent conditions. I think I've said I enough, wonder, haven't I? Oh, oh it's, so, it's so interesting. And I wonder if, okay, so I've heard that, you know, okay, and I'm gonna invite everybody who's listening to just for a second, listen widely, like listen to everything that you can hear, just kind of, which means you have to kind of, it's like soft gaze, but do that with listening. Mm. Like don't listen to any one particular thing, listen to everything. Soften your, your, your oral gaze, your uh, A-U-R-A-L, uh, <laughs> right? Your listening gaze. I'll listen to something specific, a sound of voice, or um, maybe I'll be quiet and try to listen intently to one small sound in the background. Okay, so what I think is fascinating that I read is that those involve different little muscles in the ear being able to softly listen versus zero in on a sound. And we all can do this. Like we're in a busy restaurant and there's all this sound and we can zero in on someone talking. 
and people who start losing their hearing start losing their ability to do that. Do you know much about that? Have you heard about this? Oh yeah, yeah. This is this is really front and center in our training. It's not actually happening in the ear. It's happening in the brain. In the brain. So the the ears are not very discerning. The ears let everything in, and uh -huh. all all the vibrations come in and they hit the apparatus and they they vibrate or move the various parts of the cochlea or the vestibular organs, and that information is bundled through the the neural pathways along the eighth nerve into the brain, and the filtering starts happening um, at the the midbrain, the brainstem midbrain, and then at the auditory cortex, I would say is where we're really concentrating and focusing. The reason it's hard to hear with hearing loss is think of it as having a big jigsaw puzzle and you're actually missing entire chunks of the puzzle. So if you're, so if I was listening to Claudia now with a hearing loss, I would be okay because it's just, it's a simple signal. I can guess what she's saying if I miss a little bit. So that even though there's missing pieces in my auditory jigsaw puzzle, it's easier for me to concentrate on her single voice and to pick up on what she's saying with context and to guess the bits I miss, right? But then if I'm at a cocktail party or a noisy party or a restaurant or a supermarket and there's other auditory sounds, now, not only do I have missing jigsaw pieces in my puzzle, but I also have other stuff on top of that muddying the initial puzzle. So the brain, it's not the ears that are doing the filtering. It's the brain that's going, oh, now I've got multiple jigsaw puzzles all at once and I'm struggling to fill in the gaps. So with a single signal, that's a much easier process. But with lots of signals, it's like, oh, there's too much all at once. I just need you to speak looking at me. I need to see your lips. And I need you to speak slowly and I need you to really simplify that signal for my brain. Mm -hmm. So when, when you put all of this together um, and you are looking at the effect of hormones on tinnitus and hearing and the health of the ears and the ear apparatus, how do you connect those? Yeah, it's a really good question. Well, I think it's as simple as, if, if I'm going to put it very simply, I think for, if you think about running a car, you know, we need a certain amount of oil and a certain amount of petrol and a certain amount of water. And there's all these fluids involved in making the vehicle work. And if there's too much or not enough of certain fluids, the car might be able to go for a little bit, but at, it's, at some point it's, it's going to start malfunctioning or potentially stop working altogether. And I think when we look at the inner ears themselves, our fluid-filled cavities, they have very special types of fluids, perilymph and endolymph, that are moving little jelly-filled objects around. And that's what's, connect, that's what's capturing the vibration signals. And as those jellies move, for me, I think of seaweed in the water. As they're moving, a neural signal may or may not be generated, right? So as the it's a mechanical system. As vibrations come in, we get mechanical movements. And then that, that, that is sent off as an action potential pulse along nerve fibers. And for all of this process to work, including just replenishing of the inner ear fluids, we need oxygen, we need sugars, we need all the basic cellular health and nourishment for the inner ear cells to, to replenish their needs each day. And then at that, that I think is where hormones come into it is we actually need the the balance of this because stress hormones are not actually bad for us if they're in adequate amounts and proportionate amounts to 
if we don't have them at all, we just sit on the couch getting fat and lazy because we've got no motivation to do anything. So the stress hormones at the right levels actually what give us a little bit of up and go and a bit of personality. Um, and so again, it's just this balance of do we have enough sex hormones and stress hormones to allow the correct functioning of the machine work and then the correct functioning of the neural messages. The other interesting thing is, is I'm quite sure the reflexes going from our ears, they are the oldest and fastest reflexes in the body. So these, and also the inner ear organ itself is the first to develop fully. So at 26 weeks gestation with a pregnant belly and a baby that's only 26 uh, weeks since conception, it already has an um, fully developed ear function. And we think that's because it needs to get to know its parents' voices for that bonding and recognition to know its parents at birth and to navigate the birth canal, to know where down is because women will often birth squatting. So yeah, the inner ears really are so important to our functioning of sensing and feeling our environment. And I think first and foremost, if we just wind back the millennia to evolutionary days, about staying alive, about navigating our environment and knowing what is actually safe. And I think that's why, this is my personal opinion, not professional. I think that is why the inner ear information is so closely linked to the emotional system because we have to know our tribe. We have to know belonging. We have to know how to work as a team and a community. And we're navigating all of these sensing and feeling our vibrations and putting it in the context of how am I going to remain alive in this situation? So, and that's where I think the hormones come into it. The, is that fight, flight, freeze um, decision that the brain's making. That's, it's so beautiful. And there's this other thing um, that I made note of some time ago, and this is not my area of expertise, but, um, and the note that I made was that the brain senses balance through the autoconia, an organ of the inner ear made of tiny crystals and otoliths. And there's at least one study that demonstrates a link between estrogen loss and a weakening of the autoconia. Am I pronouncing that right, autoconia? I, I can speak on this when you when you're ready. Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah. So go ahead. Yeah, because that's you know I just know that there's <laughs> yeah. some, a link. Well, I, I think this is the, the building piece. So otoconia are, yeah. are I think they're calcium carbonate. They're definitely calcium particles, and the otoliths is the name for two little organelles in the ear called the saccule and the utricle. And their job is to detect linear acceleration. So push-pull feelings, deceleration, slowing down, acceleration, speeding up. And so people with damage to these areas will often feel like they're bobbing around and moving or they have sudden push-pull feelings. And the most common form of vertigo is benign paroxysmal positional vertigo, BPPV. It's safe, it's treatable. I've had it twice, it's super common. But that's when otoconia calcium particles fall out of those two bedrooms, so out of the otoliths, and they start rolling around the semicircular canals and just being like really annoying, your annoying little brother that just won't leave you alone. It rolls around with gravity in the wrong bedroom. And to treat it, we literally put people through gentle rolling maneuvers, which you can do at home following a video, to get the calcium particles to roll back into the bedroom they belong in. So the otoliths is the name for the two organelles, the utricle and the saccule, they're responsible for linear movements 
And it's because the calcium particles, you can call them rocks, you can call them crystals, they are sitting in jelly and they are literally mechanically moving when you tilt your head or when you sit in a car and it accelerates forwards. They are actually lagging and moving with, um, you know, it, it'd be like just having jelly that you're eating and you stick some chocolate in it. And if you wobble the jelly around, the chocolate moves in the jelly. That's what's going on in the inner ear. And that is generating a nerve signal through that nerve bundle, the eighth nerve, to the brain to tell the brain, hey, we're accelerating. So I guess with the estrogen thing coming in, if we're, if we're not having this replenishing, recuperating, rebuilding system, perhaps there is um, a loss of strength in the system because we do notice vestibular conditions happen with changes to hormones. So it's almost like something changes the mechanical apparatus of the ear when those hormones change. It's so, it's so beautiful. You can see like the, so if we remember again, that, that, that duality language, right. And we've got this jelly like substance, which is very yin. That's uh, it's, it's nourishing. It's lubricating. It's yin. It's not that only sex hormones are yin. This is also yin, right. And the, the little rocks, the little crystals, that's really substantial. That's yin. That's building block material. So those are yin and yang is not only stress hormones, but it's also nerve impulses because it's light, it's motivating, it's stimulating, it's activating. And so these nerve impulses um, are, are, part of the, are part of the story. And they, those nerve impulses, correct me if, if I'm wrong here, but those nerve impulses rely on the yin to be healthy. They rely on that jelly to be healthy. They rely on the substances to be healthy. And those and those substances um, need to be in the right amount and in the right place, right? So again, this this balance that needs to happen is that is that yeah. Fair? And then and and often vertigo occurs when one ear is sending message A, the other ear is sending message B, and for some reason A and B don't mas- match. So we have sensory mismatch, and the brain's like, well, I don't know who to listen to. Do I listen to that one? Do I listen to that one? And this is exactly what happens with inner ear injuries. We have suddenly an injured message and a healthy message. And Mm. with time, the brain adapts and says, okay, this one is not reliable. I am now permanently going to adjust all of my algorithms and all of my decisions on this ear. And that is what adaptation is. And that part of that process is heavily reliant on neuroplasticity. And that can naturally occur for anyone with an injury. and some people get a little stuck, so they need help with that compensation, adaptation, neuroplasticity process. And I imagine, you know, something that you said where stimulus, I forget how you put it, but stimulus that hits the ears, it doesn't just go in this A to B pathway, kind of like the hormone doesn't just go A to B. It goes to the entire brain. It's not like, oh, yeah. it goes from the ear to this one part of the brain. And if that's damaged, you're in trouble. It goes everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. And if if we think about in in Ayurveda, one of the ways we look at how the brain functions, it's very much dependent on sensory input. Yeah, It's fed by sensory input. So as this is happening, it's not just that my, my, I haven't had hearing problems in my life, but 
but from what my patients tell me and what I can imagine from having like one, I had one eye damaged once for a little while and I had to wear a patch and it didn't just affect my vision. It affected my perspective on life. It affected my emotions. It affected my stress. It affected how, how I perceived things and it was stressful. And I would imagine that, that, that period of time of adjustment is stressful and with if if you if the body is not able to if if your input which is affecting your entire brain it's going everywhere in there if that is out of balance that that's going to affect that has the potential to create anxiety i would imagine honestly it's extremely rare to not be anxious because it's it's for yeah. many of my clients it's it's like the vertigo is in their body you know, they, their feet don't feel the same anymore. People, not everybody, some people say it's just in their head or it's just in their eyes. But for some people, it's in their spine. Like they actually feel this dizziness, this not quite rightness and this abnormal lived experience. But then when they go see doctors, they'll say there's nothing we can find. Take antidepressants, take anti-anxieties or try some physiotherapy. And these clients can feel really misunderstood. They can feel like they're going crazy. And the impact of that is, you know, low self-esteem, feeling isolated, definitely feeling lonely, feelings of depression, anxiety, potential unemployment. I've had parents who don't feel confident to stay home alone with their children. They don't feel able to pick them up and be a responsible parent. So these are hugely debilitating, invisible symptoms that can very often be overlooked and I think not appropriately um, addressed bringing it back to the whole person because healing of vertigo and tinnitus is very rarely about the ears. It's often about the choices I'm making to nourish and nurture my body and to assert my boundaries and to be the person I want to be not only in my body, but on the planet. Cause it's, it's about how am I relating to the world around me? That's what the senses are telling the brain because we're hearing right. and feeling the world. And then as we individuate as we grow as we go through our rites of passage we have to begin choosing how am i choosing to show up in the world and this is i think where it goes from being a very medical and physical condition which they are i'm not saying they're not there are physical abnormalities and and um phenomena going on but actually the healing can really be in the seat of the the mental emotional spiritual and what choices am I making? How am I responding and self-regulating emotionally? And how am I trusting my body to heal? How am I showing up in the world on the, in the planet? What's my contribution? And sometimes when we re-navigate that invisible work, the inner work, not sometimes, I would say all the time, when we navigate that and change the mental, emotional, spiritual piece, the physiology changes, the physical changes, we reset our brain, we change how the ears uh, shooting messages and how the brain's responding to those messages. So there's a physical piece, but that's often a response to the change in the mental, emotional, spiritual, which is the work I do with clients, which I think is where you and I meet because I'd love you yeah. to speak on choices and the mental, emotional, spiritual piece impacting physiology. I think that's where Ayurveda yeah. and Chinese medicine um, excel. I would love, I would love to, but, and I know we hadn't talked about going to where I want to go next, but I, I, there's yeah. really a place I want to go. Can I go there? Sure. Okay. So, so 
one of the ways that, that Ayurveda organizes its understanding of the body is through these channel systems called Surotamsi. There's 13 shared ones that men and women have. And then there's, uh, in terms of the body and in terms of the mind, they, they uh, describe the mind according to this channel system of the mind. And the channel system of the mind, the mind it says it, the pathway of the mind goes throughout the entire body, but especially so these 10 great vessels. And these 10 great vessels include one for each eye, one for each nostril, one for the mouth, one for each ear, one for the reproductive organs, one for the um, eliminate, elimination track, and one that moves up the spine and out the top of the head, that, which is which is a to you know to to experience otherworldly spiritual spiritual worlds so that's the one orifice that leads to a a more subtle reality all these other orifices lead to this five element reality mm -hmm. and all of these channels are 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 the pathway of the mind and of these channels two are most important and they're the nostrils, Ida and Pingala. Ida mm -hmm. being the channel system associated with the left nostril, Pingala with the right nostril. And the root of this whole channel system is in the heart. Mm -hmm. So if we want to affect the heart, we do so through any one of our senses. And as we do that, what's interesting about this is the heart is also the root of two other physical channel systems, which is that of rasa and prana. Rasa is the, the ambassador of yin in the body. It's uh, the, rasa, the tissue, the rasa tissue is the sap, the cooling, nourishing essence, um, fluid that moves throughout the body, carries hormones, delivers hormones, and can shift instantaneously because of this heart connection. The heart is also the root of this prana vahasrotas this channel system of prana the life force so every system in the body needs to be nourished with this cooling lubricating rasa fluid and every cell in the body needs to be enlivened with this mm. prana this sort of ambassador of yang and all of that is rooted in the heart so the very second that you affect one of the one of the senses the ears the eyes the nose the mouth and the, and the very second you do that, you're affecting the root of the mind and, the, and therefore you're also affecting the prana, the life force in each cell and the, and the rasa, the nourishing aspect of each cell that's circulating through, through the entire body. So when you disturb one of those senses, you need to bring equilibrium back and you need to bring that back. back. You can do that through rasa through prana or directly through the mind. And through the mind, you can do that through the channels. So you could use the other senses as well as the, trying to reestablish health in the organ of the ears. But the most important, since the most important direct way to affect the channel system of the mind is through the channels associated with the nostrils, hmm. gentle alternate nostril breathing is an incredible way to balance the yin and the yang of the body. Ida, the left nostril channel, is, is associated with brahmana, the yin, and pingala with yang, with the langana, with stress hormones. So you, you end up, if you 
almost anybody can do this. There's very few exceptions or contradictions, but doing a gentle alternate nostril breathing, which you can find easily online and YouTube and so forth. Um, you can, by doing that, you can calm the system even when one organ system is impaired, you can calm the entire system using, using that system. So it would seem to me a really powerful tool for people undergoing either visual problems or audio problems to, to use alternate nostril breathing because they, it affects the channel system of the mind in such a way that all the senses are then balanced a little bit more. Yeah, and I think even bringing it back to its simplest is um, I, with my clients, I just get them to do a lot of noticing normal breathing. And I invite anyone listening to try this. It's actually really difficult to notice normal breathing because we want to go in and change it. We want to micromanage it. We want to make it longer or make it shorter or make it smoother. Or we start to be critical of how the breath is naturally weaving itself and it's like to actually stop and trust that the body knows how to breathe and trust that the brain knows what kind of breath you need in this moment to sit back and be the observer without deepening it, without even changing the nostrils, like really being a beginner, being a, a newborn baby and meeting your breath and saying, okay, breath, how are you in this moment? And accepting it and trusting it. That's really bringing in that, that natural it's a physiological connection to the body because the breathing is so foundational to being alive from a yoga point of view. It's, it's bringing in the prana and the life force in a really respectful, naive way. There's an innocence there. And then from my thera therapist, putting my therapist hat on, it's also teaching us acceptance. It's teaching us self-compassion. It's teaching us patience. It's teaching us to be with, even staggered breathing or noisy breathing or difficult breathing and trust it. Just trust that the body will sort it out. So we're really changing the way we relate to ourselves because I find, um, and I'm not suggesting this is the case with all alternate nostril breathing or um, more intense pranayama practices, but people can end up bullying themselves and being critical of telling the body how it should do its thing. And, and I notice that these clients I'm working with are so sensitive and they've lost so much trust in their body because it's been months or years of hearing and feeling wonky messages that we need to actually come back to a place of trust and accepting meeting ourselves as we are where we are, because that, again, it's impacting that emotional part of the brain, which is impacting the hormones that are being produced. And right. so it's bringing us back very gently to a balance. And yes, Nadi Shodhana is what we call it in yoga, the alternate nostril breathing. And it is blissfully calm and beautiful. And it can be a very um, effective practice if it resonates for people, if it feels comfortable and if it can be done from a place of wholehearted, loving compassion. But would it be for everybody? Probably not. So just know know yourself and try things with an open mind. And if it doesn't feel right, that's okay too. Try again tomorrow. And one of the things we do in Ayurveda is we, um, we'll, we'll do that in a morning practice. So you're not doing it in order to change yourself. It's just a yeah. practice. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, and what, what I find will happen, I mean, because I will find women with undergoing hot flashes who've done everything in the book, and still have hot flashes 
And if they just introduce 10 minutes of very gentle, very gentle, no counting, no, no strain, no expectation, very gentle alternate nostril breathing in the morning, not to change who they are, just to add it into your morning routine, you know, yeah. just, and, and doing that, the days they do it, they don't get hot flashes. And the days that they don't do it, they do, you know, it's for a while, it, it, it's like that. So it may not be the thing to go to if you're freaked out, although I have, and it's really helpful. But I love what you're saying about acceptance and part of, of acceptance of what is and just, um, ex, uh, and just receiving that is, you know, one of the things we started out talking about how sort of intimidating hormones can be in terms of how they do so many things. But I think that happens, especially when we think, oh, hormones are controlling us. And that's so intimidating. How can I change the hormones so that I can change? And this reminds me of a, um, of a, a little disagreement that I had with my wonderful editor of Balance Your Hormones, Balance Your Life. She let me write the whole inside of the book and I didn't know what the title was. And she said, oh, I got the right title for you, Balance Your Hormones, Balance Your Life. And I said, well, it's great, except it's backwards because yeah. it, it sounds like if you balance your hormones, then your life will balance, whereas the book is really about the opposite. If you balance your life, then your hormones will follow suit because our hormones don't change in a vacuum. They respond to our emotions. They yeah. respond to our experiences. They respond to our relationships. So if we have low estrogen, to go back to your question there, then how can we nourish ourselves? How can we build ourselves? What, what in our life is not letting us do that? You know, we, we shift our life and the hormones follow right? Yeah. That's, that's the idea. Yeah. It's, not, it's not the other way around. And I, I love the example of the, the gentle alternate nostril breathing. Um, and, you know, I love the self massage, you know, getting a beautiful oil that you love and um, spending time in nature is another really common one. Um, if you're into yoga, you know, having a really nourishing yoga practice instead of like, a, I got to kill myself and I've got to be fit and I got to be buff and I got to do it three times a week and this really head heavy yoga practice. So it's not just what we do, it's how we do it, what intention we bring to it. And I think you hit the nail on the head. It's so important from a neuroplasticity point of view that we don't make the objective to get rid of symptoms or to change myself or to change my hormones. If you're starting from that place of, I'm broken and I want to fix this and I want to change. Honestly, you, you'll get caught up in a loop because you're teaching the brain actually by hating my symptoms and wanting to get rid of them. We're teaching the brain they're important and thereby allocating more neural resource to that loop. Right. Whereas if, right. We, if we say, well, actually I want to feel more calm and courageous. I want to feel more connected and peaceful or I want to feel more powerful. I want to find my power. When that becomes your objective and you begin building that in your life and finding ways to cultivate that feeling and that sense of embodiment, that's the rock steady process. That's what healing is. And that's essentially what my book's about. It's saying, this is the dilemma. This is why nobody can fix you and why the doctors are doing a great job at giving you medical clearance. This is the next step. And this is how you implement the advice the doctors give, which is don't worry about it. Well, how do right. I not worry about it? There's right. a process to that. And it's about building the person we want to be and making that a methodical practice, a daily practice 
and a self-inquiry. Minute-to-minute practice, right? I mean, yeah. it's, you know, the, this exactly what you just said, who is the person we want to be, to me is the crux of it. To me, hormonal issues are issues of integrity. And what I mean by that is the cause is not low estrogen, right? The cause is not high cortisol. What is the cause of the low estrogen? What is the cause of yeah. the high cortisol, the high stress hormones? Yeah. Is, oh, it's because I'm working too much. Well, why am I working too much? What is the cause of my working too much? Well, it's because I have to make all this money. Well, why do I have to do that? It goes back to possession in a way. What an idea, we're possessed by an idea of what success is or who we are or should be yeah. that is driving us, driving us, driving us. And it's not even what we really want. So it really feels like the healing starts when we ask that question, what do I want? And it might be, I want tea with a girlfriend. Yeah. Right. It might be, I want to lie on the couch for a while. Yeah. And it might be, I want to lie on the couch for six months. And it (laughs) might be, I don't want to take my kid to soccer three times a day on top of everything else I'm doing. Yeah. And we each have our challenges about what's standing between us and, and the life we really want to be living. But that is the root. Yeah. Changing that changes the behavior, changes the relationship to life and stress that is causing these problems. Yeah. And, and the way we live our life informs our body of what hormones to create or not create. So the, the, the choices we're making are generating that biological response And for any women out there who are actually pregnant or going through pregnancy, or you've had symptoms arrive during pregnancy, this is such a rich rite of passage, especially if it's a first baby. And in this day and age, it's not that easy to slow down and drop into the feminine space, to be really open and juicy for birthing, to feel worthy enough to have our village hold us and have a community. And I think often we are trying to wear too many hats and potentially have a career as well as run a household. And it's the body can only do so much. And we're growing a baby. We're not even resting when we sleep. We're building a baby while we sleep, right? So it's about, well, how do I really nourish and rest? And I think a lot of that comes down to receiving from Mother Earth. That was a big exercise for me. It's like, okay, well, if I'm mothering this baby, I need Mother Earth to mother me. I need to really receive her nourishment and connect to that and not block it out and push through and lose myself in workaholism. And, you know, these are just huge adjustments. And sometimes we haven't had support to go through that change of who am I as a woman now? And as a mother, all of these are going to infect our hormones and how our hormones move through us. So I want, I would love the take home message for listeners to be, we can dramatically change the, the way our body's producing hormones. We can rebalance our body. There are so many different choices we can make. I highly recommend Claudia's book, which is, I've got it here, Balance Your Hormones, Balance Your Life, even though it could be Balance Your Life to Balance Your Hormones. And I have a book coming out mid-November this year, which is called Rock Steady, which is Healing Vertigo or Tinnitus with Neuroplasticity. And both books will give you a plethora of home exercise ideas, things to try out, and also some of the science behind why am I feeling crummy in Claudia's words and why am I feeling not quite right in my words. And I think the journey of coming back home to our body and feeling safe in our body 
and feeling worthy, I think is really a, a common element in the work we do, even though it's different. There's a, there's a container of a real common coming home place. I'm really looking forward to your book, Joey. Yeah. It's so exciting. It's coming together up to the final edit and the illustrations are beautiful. And I'm, I wrote it before falling pregnant, paused it, had a baby, and now it's, it's coming to the world. So it's, it's amazing. Wonderful. Yeah. Congratulations on both births. Yes. Thank you. And thank you so much for sharing your knowledge. It's brave to write a book and your book has already changed the lives of thousands of people. So thank you. And I hope, Oh, so I'm going to pop a link to Claudia's website, which is drclaudiawelsh.com. And the spelling of that is D-R-C-L-A-U-D-I-A-W-E-L-C-H.com for those of you listening. And I will pop a link. You can find me at seekingbalance.com.au. And Claudia, do you have any closing words for our listeners? I guess what's been in my heart lately is the divinity of patience. Mm. And um, I could talk about that for a long time, but there's mythology in really short, that there's mythology of the creation of the world and the, the difference, one of the big differences between sort of the positive power and the negative power in their mythological relationship is that the positive power is completely willing to create with patience and the negative power is not willing to wait for what's already being, what's being given, what's being offered, what's been offered, what's not only been offered, but promised and we can't wait for it. We have to scramble for it. And so I've been looking at mythology around this and feeling like that is so important in my own microcosm of living out that mythology, having the patience to see how something develops, how something progresses, how something grows, whether it's a baby or an idea or a book or an or a, some kind of endeavor action to to not attack that but to allow it and to to cooperate with that natural process rather than trying to govern it yes and trust 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 i would love my closing words to follow on from that just to be trust your body your body knows what it's doing and your body my body, Claudia's body, we're all responding. The way we treat our body is how the body treats us. And I think sometimes just pausing to say, okay, what am I saying to my body in this moment? Like if I really drop into the subconscious pieces that are floating around the back, am I being nice to myself? Am I, am, am I creating a nice place for my body? Am I being grateful for the fact my body's still working and still digesting and still allowing me to live and i think that's a really nice place to come back to sometimes it's just like well how i treat my body is how my body treats me and that could just be a nice little home practice or play for you to dabble in after this call perhaps so again thank you for your time dr claudia welsh thank you joey thanks everybody for being here
Yeah. And so it's a little bye for now. <laughs>